Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. Hello, everybody. Uh, tuning in online, it's good to see you. My name is Brandon. I'm the lead pastor here alongside my wife, Emma. And I hope that this finds you well today. And I hope that it also finds you uh, while you're watching with other people. Just a reminder that it is really good to be able to um, take in uh, our service online. And, and for a lot of us, the flexibility of it really works for us. Or maybe in the season we find ourselves in, it's actually um, it's, it's allowing us in, in this time period, at least, to still be a part of the church or Maybe we are a part of the online campus. And whatever the case, our encouragement to you is to still make sure that you're watching it with others. You know, Christianity is not a solo religion. It's not a, uh, a buffet-style religion where you just take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and just kind of go on your way. But it's actually meant to be communal. It's meant to be lived out in relationship. And so even if you're a part of our online campus, our encouragement uh, is to make sure that you're inviting people to watch with you. Uh, maybe just for a season, you've had to go online for whatever reason. Maybe, uh, maybe the, the, you know, your kids have been getting sick for the last little while and, and uh, it's just best to not bring them uh, into an environment where everybody else is going to get sick. Just make sure that you, you're focused on this, not as an in individual experience, but one that is meant to be shared with others in some way. So I just want to welcome you, want to make sure that we're doing this together. And uh, today we're working through the book of Matthew. And the book of Matthew, um, the way that we've kind of uh, timed everything, we're walking through the story of Jesus' birth right around Christmas time. Imagine that. And so in Matthew chapter 2, I'm going to read, and then we're just going to work right through the verses here. We're going to open it up. We're hopefully going to learn some new things. Uh, I know I did as I was uh, studying for this. And then hopefully we'll also leave encouraged and challenged in our own walk with God and our own journey with Him. And so in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. You notice a couple of things here. Is that number one, they aren't really called wise men anywhere in scripture. That's like a, a name that we uh, ascribe to them. They're actually called the Magi. Um, up until the 4th century, they were actually considered priests from, uh, I believe, Persia. Um, but here we have magi, and notice that there's also not three of them. So the three wise men is just based on the fact that they brought three different types of gifts to Jesus. And then we attributed the amount of gifts to this term that we coined for these men that were seeking after the Messiah. And so we called them the wise men. But really, they're just the, the magi. And there could have been ten of them. There could have been four of them. There could have been two of them. Uh, we don't know. But the magi came and found Jesus. It says, when uh, King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them 
the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child as soon as you find him. Report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now, this isn't really, like, this part here is not going to add much to, uh, you know, to encourage you today or whatever else, but I found it interesting. Ever since I was like a kid, I, I, I wondered what this meant by they saw the star and then it led them to Bethlehem. Like, when I look up in the stars in the sky, I mean, they're directional, and they can lead you in a direction because if you follow a star long enough during a certain season, it can lead you in a, a particular direction, like the North Star. I mean, you head towards the North Star, you're going to head north, and that sort of thing. But how in the world did they know to go to Bethlehem based on a star in the sky? I was like, was it always like a low-hanging star? Like, what in the world was this? So, I mean, this is going to be challenging. It's probably not going to be that encouraging. It's just kind of interesting. Um, during some of my study this past week, uh, this question like, kind of popped up in my mind. And this is what one author had to say about it. He said, there may have been uh, many different reasons for this. Some favor Halley's Comet, uh, comet what was, which was seen and recorded in 11 BC. But the most probable suggestion is that it was not one uh, new star so much as the conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn in the area of the sky known as Pisces. This happened three times in the year 7 BC which lines up right around the time of Jesus' birth. Um, for those of you that don't know, Jesus' birth was actually miscalculated by a monk um, uh, uh, later on uh, in Jesus' life. So Jesus was actually born before uh, the year like zero, okay? That's, that's just interesting as well. Um, it was seen on, on a few different dates. And the one really interesting thing about this is that um, this author says, Pisces was reckoned by astronomers, which they believed the Magi were, to mark the end of the sun's old course and the beginning of the new. Jupiter was the royal planet, and Saturn had long been the symbol of Israel. So this conjunction of planets, giving the impression of one very bright star, would have meant to the competent astronomer that a new age was beginning in which the sovereignty of the world would shift to Judea, or the Jews, or Israel. How fascinating is that? So what we have is actually just this, um, this likely alignment of Jupiter and Saturn in the sky that told these astronomers, just the ways that God spoke to people and continues to speak to people baffles me, but would have spoke to these astronomers that we know as Magi, that listen, something is shifting in Israel during this time. There's going to be a new reign in the world. There's going to be a new power in the world. And they go to seek the answer of this, which is why we call them wise men. Like these wise men tried to follow and seek the answer to this new royalty in Judea. Okay, so that's not challenging. It's not very encouraging, but it is interesting. Continuing on in verse 9, we say, after uh, uh, Matthew says, After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. So the, 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 the constellation Pisces would have been in the sky above, and, and, and uh, Saturn and Jupiter would have been above um, the area in which Jesus was. And this is when they start to ask around, right? And it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house. Again, we're skipping a lot of what would have actually happened here. It's not like hanging over the house. They would have started asking around. They would have started searching. But on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures 
and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. You know, there's a lot of different things going on in this story. And one of the things that's really encouraging to us is that Bethlehem was actually uh, known as the, as the birthplace and the starting place, really, of everything that had happened in King David's uh, life. King David was the lineage, of course, in which Jesus came from. And uh, a lot of prophecies and foretelling of the coming Messiah actually stemmed from David. And so while um, uh, Jesus spent some time in Nazareth, he wasn't born in Nazareth. He was born in this place called Bethlehem, which had a lot of significance to the early days when a covenant was made with God, with his people, um, it was where, uh, uh, where, where some very important people throughout scripture were buried. It was where King David was, was born and lived until he became king. And this was where Jesus would come to be born. Now, there's two things that I want to kind of focus on during, uh, in the reading of the scripture and the themes that Matthew brings up within this short period of uh, uh, this, this short passage. And the first one is power. You notice in the world that we live in today, power is, uh, means a lot of different things. Strength is something that we, uh, that we yearn for. Uh, it's something that we want to be. We want to feel strong. We want to be seen as strong. We want to, uh, um, we want to be people that, that at least uh, have a perception of being able to carry themselves. We, in other words, we don't want to be weak. And so power is this thing that we constantly search for. And some of us, we, we actually manipulate to get. Some of us, it's like a lifelong pursuit of power and that sort of thing. And we know that power is one of the things that when used well, can actually uh, do a lot of good things in the world. But when used poorly, is something that can actually um, hurt a lot of people. And we have stories of both, um, both scenarios. A power that is used really well all throughout history and power that was used really poorly all throughout history. The theme of power comes up in the early um, narrative of Jesus' life as it contrasts with the story of who Herod was. So we notice that the two main characters beyond the Magi um, that, uh, that are mentioned within this telling of, of the birth narrative of Jesus is both King Herod and then Jesus. And notice that when the Magi showed up, they asked this question to King Herod, which is like a terrible question to ask somebody who is in power? Where is the one who is being born king of the Jews? King of the Jews. This is a statement that would have really um, taken Herod um, by surprise and really taken him off guard and really threatened the seat of power that he sat on. King Herod is a really interesting figure within scripture. And what we can actually gather, even just from what we read today, is that not only is uh, Herod labeled king, but his real, his full title would have been king of the Jews. So for one to come and step before uh, Herod, Herod would have been impressed that these magis, these astrologers, these very wise people, these very smart and intellectual individuals, he would have been honored by their presence and he would have brought them into his, um, uh, where he governed the, the, the people in this area. And he would have brought them in. And the question they asked to the king of the Jews is, where is the king of the Jews? It's like somebody coming up to me and saying, hey, where's the pastor of Slate Church? And I was like, what, what do you mean where the pastor of Slate Church? Like, I th I'm pretty sure I'm the pastor of Slate Church. And, and it would be like, what, what in the world? Like, no, there's actually another pastor here, which there is. I mean, Jesus is, is truly leading this church. But in this scenario, Herod would have taken this as like a, 
a threat. He would have taken this as something that was, was against the power that he had struggled for because he, they're attributing this title that he was known for to another king. His power was under threat. You see, Herod was half, half Jew, and um, I can't even pronounce the, the, the other uh, during this time period what, what he uh, also was. But Herod, um, Herod would have taken this, this as a threat um, not only to just his identity, but what he had strived for, what he had struggled for. And um, what we know throughout history is the way that in which he weaved himself in the political circles during this time. Like this was his life and this is what he wanted to do. And yet there's another king. And yet there's another, that the same label is applied to another human. And his name was Jesus and he came as a baby. So it's interesting because Matthew really wants us to contrast the power of Herod to that of Jesus. You know that Herod was inaugurated into his position at 33 years old. We also know that Jesus died at 33 years old. You see, Herod ushered in a kingdom. He was appointed by the Roman empires to lead the, 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 the nation of, of Israel, to take care of that aspect of the world that they had conquered. So Herod is, is over all of, all of the, the people in Judea. He's, he's over all of the Jews during this time. And his, his uh, uh, kingship, his power was given to him by, by a, an empire that was, was cruel and aggressive and, and uh, uh, filled with so much wrong and immorality. And that is the power in which he received. And at 33 years old was the moment he received it. Interestingly, contrasted with this new king that arrives on the scene in, in the form of a baby, is what we learn is that Jesus, as he grows up, inaugurates his kingdom, not by being given power by Rome and an immoral um, society and an immoral empire or through cruelty or aggression or these sorts of things, but Jesus is given power at the age of 33 by conquering death, but through suffering. The, the, the power dynamics in this story are, are telling in, in, what, in who is actually in power on this earth. And Matthew is trying to speak to us through the, the, the interesting and, and the, the facts that he picks up, because he could have shared many different facts about who Jesus is. And we see this through the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that they all emphasize different things. But what Matthew is trying to tell us is that power does not belong in the hands of those that rule the earth, Power belongs in the hands of our creator and ultimately in the one that suffered for us on a cross to pay a price for our sins. It's a beautiful story. And it's not just one that is meant to fill us with more intellectual knowledge. Like, where is the star? What is the star and where did it come from? It's not meant to serve us in that realm, but it's meant to actually comfort us and to lead us and to guide us into better living and, and, and right living. And what I mean by this is that we live in a world today that we often question the powers around us. Similar to the people, the Jewish people that would have been under the oppression of one of their own, King Herod, that was leading them. They would have thought there was no way out. They would have thought, like, where is, where is relief going to come from? And what we see is that it's actually through the suffering of Jesus Christ and power that is given from on high that releases people, not just from the context they find themselves in, but in the inner turmoil and the inner worlds that so many people were experiencing during that time. 
And by the way, I'm very thankful for a, a Messiah that came. I'm very thankful for the way in which Jesus came. Not to alleviate them from a context, but to, but to actually address an internal issue. Because contexts are different all around the world, through all different seasons, and all different eras and centuries. Contexts continually change. But one thing remains the same, and it's that inside of each and every human is brokenness that needs to be restored. And that is what Jesus came to heal. Which means, even today, amongst, amongst all the things that we, we face and the power that we sometimes are, faced, uh, are, are up against and we feel like we are being domineered by, whatever that is, whatever that is in your life, we can take hope that our suffering servant, our suffering Savior, Jesus Christ, paid a price so that whatever, we find, whatever context we find ourselves in, that brokenness might be restored. This is the hope of Jesus Christ. Now I want to, I want to be quick through this next part um, to encourage us. But the other thing that the other major theme that Matthew is getting at is that of the response to this King of the Jews. See, one one aspect is the power, but what is going to be our response to who Jesus is? We notice that there are three main categories of people outside of Jesus within this story. The first would be the magi or the astrologers, uh, the, the wise men, the, the intellects, the academics, whatever else you want to call them, the magi. That's the first group. The second group is King Herod himself and the government in which he represented. And then the third was the priests and, uh, and the chief priests, the, the teachers of the law, and those that Herod consults to know uh, basically what the magi are talking about. So here are three predominant groups of people that um, exist during the time of Jesus being born. And we notice that each of their responses are quite different. First of all, we see Herod that is threatened by the message of who Jesus is and what he has come to do. That is the first group. And his response is one of being threatened, being challenged, that not being uh, uh, comfortable with what he's hearing. And rather than receiving what he's heard, he immediately responds with, uh, with aggression. And he responds with a lot of what culture had uh, had had um, uh, infiltrated him with, had formed him with. And so what we see is that the culture that Herod lived in had not just been something that was around him, but was something that actually got inside of him. And out of that reality, Herod responds to the news of who Jesus is. Now, what a response that some people give to the message of Jesus. The, the hostility and, the, and the, 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 um, the response is often one of, of aggression or at least um, opposite reaction to what they are hearing. And Herod represents something that is very obvious in our world today. But notice that Herod's um, response is, is very obvious to us. We're like, okay, if, if we trust in the message of Jesus or we're curious in the message of Jesus, we go, okay, well, if, if Jesus is the answer to a lot of what's going on in the world today, well, that's not the response. And that's sometimes an obvious one to, um, uh, to identify. But for those of us that sometimes get concerned with the opposition that exists in Jesus Christ even today, we shouldn't take it as a response. Ever since Jesus set foot on this earth, there's always been opposition to who Jesus is. But I think for a lot of us watching today, whether we're curious or we find ourselves as Christian, uh, call ourselves Christians, the response of the second group of people is even more concerning. It says, when he had called together all the people's chief priests, chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. Listen to their response. It says, In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, 
for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Why is their response so concerning? It's concerning because immediately after Herod offers a question, they have a response. Who is this, um, this king of the Jews? Who is this person that was to come? He, he wants to know, where is the Christ to be born? And immediately based on his question, they have an answer. Immediately based on his inquiry, they have, they have the, 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 the intellect and the insight, they have the, the information to be able to offer to his request. But what we see is that even though they have all the knowledge and they provide the point in scripture in which where it's found, they can direct him to the scroll in which it addresses who Jesus is. They, they probably have it memorized and that's, that's how they're responding to King Herod in this question. That while they were filled with so much knowledge of who Jesus was going to be and knowledge of what the Messiah was going to come and do, there was no response beyond their knowledge. Notice that the Magi are the ones that hear what they have to say and they continue to search for Jesus. Whereas these chief priests and teachers of the law know what they, 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 know, what it, what, what they know about the Messiah, but it doesn't lead to further action. See, this is the common mistake that so many people that have called upon the name of Jesus make for so many years of their life is they know a lot about Jesus, but it's not implementing their legs, their arms, their mouth, their hearts. It's not going beyond their minds. And it's a, it's a more detrimental thing to know who Jesus is and yet do nothing about it, to say nothing about it, to search for him no longer beyond what we know of him. And what we see within the response of the chief priests and the teachers of the law is that while we can often know so much about who Jesus is, it's far more important that it reaches our deepest longings and the things that we actually want to get out of this world, that it would actually motivate us to search and seek and allow him to find us even in the current circumstances we find ourselves. You know, in many ways, it's just not good enough to just know who Jesus is we need to actually follow him. We need to search for him. We need to allow, as the Magi did, for to go to beyond our intellect and the things that, that, that we know about the world that we live in and the advice we give to one another and sometimes the knowledge we pride ourselves on, it has to go beyond that and it has to go to a place that changes us from the inside out and causes us to follow him all the days of our life. The Magi's response was one of knowing. They weren't... These guys were not like uneducated. They were still educated. This isn't about an education piece. But what they allowed their education to do is to seep down into their hearts and not only to just follow them, they sacrificed for him, which is to say they brought gifts and laid them at Jesus' feet. And the message of Jesus requires something more from us than just knowing. It requires something more of us than just understanding the message of Jesus. It requires more than just reading a book about what was that star and what did it mean. It requires more than just debating about trivial theological things. It, it requires more of us than thinking what Jesus would do in our current circumstances that we find ourselves in. It requires more of us than just knowing how we should do church and what's wrong with the church. It requires more of us than just knowing things. 
requires for it to captivate our hearts and our longings and draw us into a position of surrender at the feet of Jesus that we lay down all that we have to receive the, the, the things that Jesus came to provide. And we find it in a suffering Savior, in one that bared the burdens of this world and walked in humility in the, in the crazy, chaotic, and complex times he found himself in and walked to that cross to pay that price for us that we might find ourselves in relationship with God. But we have to follow him to that cross. I wonder today if you're watching, you've ever, I wonder if you've ever made a decision to follow Jesus, a decision to say, I want to go beyond what I know of Jesus and actually want to, I want to set him up as the, as the, as the fixed, uh, as the fixate, as my, as my mind's fixation, my soul's fixation. I want to set him up as the target in which I'm heading towards. If you've never made that decision and you've never resolved in your heart that you're going to follow Jesus and, and allow your longings to actually be attached to him, if, if you've never made a conscious decision to say, you know what? That's the direction I want to go. I want to give you that opportunity right now. So wherever you find yourself, and you're, if you're in a room with other people, why don't you close your heads, all of you in that room, and bow your, uh, close your eyes and bow your heads. But if you're um, watching alone, why don't you just get into a place where you remove distractions, whether that's closing your eyes, whether that's you know, covering your, your head, whatever it is, remove distractions. And I wonder today, I wonder if you'd say, you know what? I want to make a decision to follow Jesus. And if you do want to make that decision, I want to pray for you, wherever you find yourself. So why don't you raise your hand wherever you find yourself or, or some posture of receiving, maybe both hands out and saying, God, I want to receive what you did for me on that cross to bring me back in relationship with you. If that's you, why don't you do that and I'm going to pray. Jesus, I thank you for people making decisions all over the world, wherever they're watching. And we thank you for these individuals that are saying, I want to follow Jesus. I want to set him up. I don't want to just know about Jesus. I don't want to be hostile, uh, hostile towards him. I want to receive what he did for me. God, I pray that as we receive what you've done for us, that God, you would take up residence in our souls, that your spirit would speak to us and transform us and, and uh, lead us and guide us into the future that you have for us. We know that the world might not get any easier around us, but we do know that our inner worlds can be completely transformed by your reality. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I also want to pray for those of us that maybe we've forgotten where the power in this world actually lies. Maybe today we're scared by the events going on around us or worried by the context we find ourselves in. And sometimes we forget that even though other powers might seem to be in uh, in position, that ultimately power is found in God. Power is found in who Jesus is. Maybe today you just need that, that knowledge to be a wave of peace that, that comes over you. If that's you, I want to pray for you. Why don't you just raise your hand wherever you find yourself if you're asking for peace, if you're asking to, to just be reminded of where your power and the power of God actually comes from. Jesus, I thank you that while we live in um, times that often people want to call unprecedented, whatever that means. That Jesus, ultimately, you're in control. Even though we might look to specific seats of power and go, no, they're in control. That we ultimately know that whatever happens on this earth, that God, you are ultimately the one 
that is that is able to set things in motion. You're the one that is able to um, to, to guide this world. And so God, we pray that you would, that God, you would um, uh, guide our government wherever we find ourselves living. That God, you would be the one that is um, raising up leaders and bringing them out of power. That God, you would be the one that not only on these high levels of positions, but even in our souls, that God, you would be the one seated in the place of power in our lives. That we wouldn't just um, continually fight for the driver's seat in our own lives, that we wouldn't continue to fight for just ultimate control in our own lives, but that we would be able to surrender to you and surrender to the peace that comes from knowing that you are in control. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen church, wherever we find ourselves, let's remind ourselves this week, and as we head into Christmas this Saturday, my encouragement to all of us is to not just set our eyes on earthly things, but to allow the reality of Jesus Christ to transform our minds, our hearts, and our souls. Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.